Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the March 2016 Mark Leverage podcast. Delighted that uh, you're able to listen in and hope you're going to enjoy my monthly ramblings and musings on the world of magic. And uh, I suppose uppermost in in my mind at the moment is um, my short visit to the Blackpool Convention a couple of weeks ago. Um, for the last 30 odd years, of course, I've had a dealer stand and I decided not to, to, to do that this year. And instead, I, I went up just for a couple of days in order to um, deliver some things to the uh, magic scene stand because uh, uh, Graham and Phil were running that. And, uh, and also it gave me an opportunity to network and to, to see some people and uh, to relax a little bit more in the atmosphere of the event rather than feeling that I'm stuck behind my stand the whole time because this is one of the things that when you're a dealer and I think a lot of people who have never been a dealer at a major magic convention such as Blackpool don't quite realize is that not only is it a huge amount of effort to prepare everything to actually get there in the first place it's physically demanding getting the stuff in setting it all up it's then physically demanding standing around for a three days effectively um, talking to people and deming and selling and so on then you've got to put it all down and then drive home again so there is a lot of effort involved and um, and of course when conventioneers just sort of kind of turn up and there are three dealer halls full of dealers um, it all probably just seems like it all appears there by magic Uh, but of course it doesn't and um, and so when you are part of that and when you're doing that um, certainly for me, um, it's always, it always takes away all the energy that I have just to do the job. And so uh, I don't really do anything else at the convention. I, don't go, never, I never used to go to any of the shows, didn't have the, the, either the enthusiasm, to be fair, but also the energy to, to, to go out again in the evening and, uh, and to enjoy stuff um, because I've just simply too tired and just wanted to relax and have something to eat uh, and just chill out ready for the next day. So on this occasion, when I was up there for, uh, let's say, a couple of days, it was really nice just uh, to be able to talk to people at length and without feeling I had to be somewhere else. Still didn't see any of the convention, but um, not really bothered by that as such um, because I was able to, to do several other things that I, that I wanted to do. So, uh, yeah, I, I, by the, it was interesting being on the other side of the, um, of the dealer's booth as I walked around the, the dealer's hall as well. And seeing something that, again, I don't normally see how other dealers cope with the selling side of it. Um, Very interesting. Some are very dynamic. Some are actually don't look like they want to be there, which is interesting, uh, or look so worn out that they can't make the effort to actually talk that much to the customers. Um, Very, very different approaches by the people who, who man the stands. And also the the way that the stands are displayed, how some of them are massive and people have gone to a lot of trouble to, to, to make it look attractive uh, and others um, not so much. Uh, it's more a case of, uh, I suppose, partly whether you've come from abroad and can bring display materials or whether you're in the UK already and can bring stuff with you. That's part of it. But it's also a part of attitude uh, and also image what do you want your business to look like? I was always very conscious that I wanted to have my particular business looking in a certain way. And when I do lectures now, I, I still take, even when I go to lectures, I take my own tables and, uh, and sort of set up, uh, display set up so that it, it looks how I would like it to look wherever I go. Uh, it, I ha- it has a certain image. 
uh, and I really like that. And I noticed walking around the dealer hall that some people clearly do that too, and others haven't, don't appear anyway to have given it a second thought. It'd be very interesting to know whether the people who've got who are uh, obviously more professional in the in the in the way that they have their stand set up, the way they deal with the customers and so on, whether that makes a difference to how successful they are at the event, or whether actually it makes no difference. I mean, I know that the customers, some customers like to have a more ramshackle type of stand where they can sort of ferret through stuff and they enjoy rummaging in boxes and looking for deals and things like that and special offers and all and so on. And there are others who are attracted to a more slick looking um, outfit. But it would be very interesting to know whether that does make any difference. Personally, I kind of feel that it probably does. Um, but then that's just my, my take on it. But if you went to Blackpool, um, I understand there were record numbers yet again. It's amazing how Derek Lever and all the others managed to put it together every every year. I just don't know how they have the energy to keep get it all done because uh, it is so massive. But uh, if you did go, then I hope you had a great time and uh, and that it was everything that you hoped it would be. Despite the fact that I've been performing um commercial shows actually right from when I was 11 years of age so a very long time now um, something happened to me in a recent show that has never happened before and that was I had to entertain two blind people now I've entertained deaf people before um, but never blind people uh, at least not that I've been aware of anyway and this was in a close-up situation and uh, it was somebody's um, 50th birthday. It's a local businessman who, through my business networking contacts, I've known for a long time. And um, he's having his 50th birthday and he booked me to go along and um, entertain his family and his friends and guests at his party. It was all very informal. It was t- took place in a beautiful venue. Um, and it was a very interesting uh, evening all round. But the thing that I hadn't realised was that Um, these two young men, both of whom are blind and who I've met before because um, this particular man whose birthday it was, he is is very involved with them um, because these two guys have a business which is called Listen to Win in which they teach um, uh, business people how to use listening as as a good business tool to pick up information, important information that can be valuable for their businesses. And they do training. And um, this guy, uh, Richard, his birthday it was, um, he has a lot to do with them. He also um, uses his um, uh, charitable um, sort of side of his business to, to help them to raise money as well. And I've met these two young lads when they've been um, at business network events that I've been to. So I had met them before. I just hadn't entertained them before. Uh, the names are Robin and Kieran. And what's um, amazing about them is that they are both blind footballers. Not just blind footballers, but they actually play for the England team. Now, the England, the blind um, England team, um, they uh, came second in the World Cup last year, apparently. And uh, Kieran and Robin are, are two of their leading players and have been for some time. If you've never seen um, blind football, it is extraordinary. We saw some footage of it at one of the networking lunches I went to. And it's absolutely extraordinary how these guys, the skill that they use and the way that they they listen in order to find out when the ball, which has a bell in it, when when the ball is coming and so on and so forth. So it it is incredible. 
so anyway so these two guys were there with their girlfriends and uh, and i thought oh, i went up to entertain them i said oh it was robin and kieran so um and it suddenly occurred to me I, I wanted to involve them in the magic but i'd never thought about how to do that before so i made, my immediate thought was spongebobs so i did the spongebob routine and as I was performing it, I was describing a bit more than I normally would uh, around my normal patter what was happening. But also I was able to to finish my routine where I have a ball, a spectator has a ball in their hand, mine disappears, they end up with two. It was perfect uh, because I was able to do it in, in Robin's hand. And as he opened his fingers, he could feel the, the two sponges sort of growing. So suddenly he realised he had two. So that was one effect. And then I did uh, sort of like an ambitious card effect too, where I, I got them involved a little bit as well. But it was very interesting um, to to suddenly be confronted with, you know, if you have time to think about it in advance, you might come up with something that was suitable. But I had to do it on the hoof because I didn't know they were going to be there. So it was really quite uh, quite an experience, which uh, which I... Um, which I would actually, um, I really enjoyed. And I think they really enjoyed the magic too, because I was able to involve them. So, um, yeah, something I'd never come across before. Just goes to show, doesn't it? No matter how long you've been in this business, there's always something new just waiting to surprise you. The March issue of Magic Scene uh, sees the start of our 12th year. I can't believe how fast the time has gone. Um... When we started out the magazine, of course, we, we never really sort of thought about how long it might last. We just wanted to do it and said we will keep it going as long as we can. And it's been a great success. Um, and we're all three of us who, who own the magazine. We're, we're really pleased with the way things have gone. Well, publishing is not easy these days. I mean, the fact that, for instance, uh, recently the independent newspaper has gone out of publication of being a physical publication has gone just on to an online presence. Um, shows you that even big national um, public publications can struggle. And of course, we're in a very niche market. But um, I think because Magic Scene has a very uh, fairly unique take on, on the way it's presented and the, the tone of the magazine, we like to have fun, but we also like to inform and educate as well as entertain. Uh, and I think I like to think that over the years, we've, we've got the balance pretty much um just right i think i certainly hope so anyway and we've got some people who have been with us virtually from issue one which is fantastic the um but uh when we were at blackpool um a couple of weeks ago and and we lay out a lot of the of the back issues and it's only when you see them all spread out over the table that you realize what a huge body of work there is now um, you know, we, this was issue 67, the March one. So you've got 66 other issues, some of which are now sold out as physical copies. But um, but a lot of them we've still got. And um, you think of all the hours and all the effort and, and, and work that goes into it. And there it is just for once completely laid out in front of you. And it makes me very proud, really, to think that we've produced this this magazine. And we there were a few things that we've done with Magic Scene where we were in a, a small way. Um, we broke new grounds. Um, we were pretty much the first magazine to go into a digital format and, and offer a PDF. Um, everybody does it now, of course, but um, but at that time uh, they didn't. Um, we've always had a policy, which is different from every other magazine that I know, of not having regular columnists. We, we like every issue to be 
different so that when you open it up, you're never quite sure what's going to be inside. And we think that makes it more interesting and more exciting. Um, whereas all other magazines have regular columnists, which we've always felt that, well, that's OK if it's a great columnist, but and it could be an attraction. But sometimes if if some of these columnists either lose a bit of steam over over a period of time and so their articles are not as interesting or people just don't like them in the first place or don't find what they have to say particularly engaging, then it can cut out whole areas of the magazine that people just simply just go straight past because they're not interested. So that's why we like to mix ours up as much as possible. Although occasionally we'll have, you know, sort of a mini series of three or four issues or something. Um, There's nothing permanent in there, which uh, we hope uh, readers enjoy. So, um, so if you've never tried Magic Scene, um, do give it a try because it it is an interesting magazine. It's available uh, one year and two year subscriptions, individual issues, downloads. It's a pay as you go. You can have pay as you go sub. We only pay for each issue as it's ready. There are lots of different ways to access it. And so, if you go to MagicScene.co.uk and take a look, and of course, we also publish books. And we've just released uh, at Blackpool the the new Mel Mellor's book, The Travelling Trickster, which was very popular. We saw a lot of copies there. I mean, Mel is a fantastic, funny, funny performer, of course. And his book is full of, it's got over 50 routines of his, most of which are very easy to do. All of which have got presentation, maximum entertainment in mind. And it, it's a terrific book. And we produced the whole thing in full colour. Um, and uh, it's it's in a very un- slightly unusual, I think, format, the way that it's being produced. It's softback, quite, it's sort of not A4, but it's a little bit smaller than that, but it's lo- it's sort of large-ish format, and, um, and we're very pleased with the way that it looks, and he was absolutely delighted uh, with the way we'd done it for him. So if you haven't seen the Mel Mellis book, um, go and have a look at that. That's available for Magic Scene as well. I belong to the Bristol Society of Magic, and I have been a member now for gosh well over 30 years I used to live in in the area of course so I used to go on a regular basis I went to university in Bristol that's when I first joined and then when I moved to Bath which is just 10 miles away I still used to go to the uh, sort of uh, meetings every every couple of weeks and they have a magazine and although I'm now down in Exeter so I don't go to any of the meetings I because I kept my membership going um, I still get their uh, their PDF magazine. And in the mag- one of the most recent issues, Tony Griffith uh, wrote an article uh, in which he was lamenting the fact that at um, lectures and club nights that there are some people in the club who feel it's impossible not to fiddle with a pack of cards while they're apparently watching or taking in whatever the lecture or whatever the evening is. And uh, he finds this very irritating. And, and it's an interesting thing because you do... I've noticed this as I go, go around the, the country lecturing. There are some people who feel duty-bound to have a pack of cards basically super-glued to their hand and, and are constantly riffling, shuffling, cutting, practising moves. And in the one way, if you're sitting at home and you're watching TV and you're just fiddling and you're practising, well, I can remember as a kid I used to do that all the time. It used to drive my mum nuts, I should think. She's trying to watch the television, I'm sitting next to her fiddling with a pack of cards or whatever. But I, I think when you start to do this uh, in, in a more public place, particularly when somebody's trying to present a lecture, I do feel rather like Tony does. It's a bit disrespectful, well, more than a bit. It's quite a lot disrespectful to the person who is actually trying to present the lecture. 
you know, um, it, apart from the, the sort of the noise factor, the sort of irritating constant riffling and, and, and the clicking sort of noise that it makes, um, it, it seems like some people cannot stop fiddling with things. Similar thing in shows, isn't it, with people and their phones. Um, people are constantly on their phones now. And what we're finding more and more, uh, any of us magicians who do um, strolling magic or particular tables at dinners, you'll approach a table and you can almost guarantee no matter what stage of the meal it's at, you're, you're actually reached, there'll be at least one person who is looking or doing something on their phone. Of course, phones, they're not phones anymore, are they? They're small computers so that people are doing their social media or updating emails or whatever they're doing, um, sending text messages. Um, the last thing they're actually doing is making a phone call. Um, that, that, again, is annoying because you're trying to perform and you've got, you might have a couple of people haven't even got the courtesy to look up or to pay any attention. They just carry on on their phone like that's the most important thing in the world. And I do find that, too, very annoying. I really want to come up with a, with a trick in which you, you borrow a, a phone and you make it disappear. Um, and then you perhaps make it reappear later on, um, just in order to make a point. But I don't think you could do that because you're, you're liable to be attacked by, by the person whose phone it was, I, sus I would suspect. But it, it does seem a, sort of a bit of a modern malaise, this, isn't it? That, that people constantly have got used to multitasking. You know, if you're watching television, you've got your central part of the screen. But often, especially with news programmes or sports programmes, you've got a lot of other information either scrolling across the bottom of the screen or things changing and rotating all down one side of the screen and the bit in the middle. So you're actually taking in information around the main screen. Um, people um, can often be, they'll be listening to music from their phone, perhaps, or d when they're trying to work, they'll be doing they'll be constantly multitasking and doing lots of different things at the same time. The trouble is when you're presenting a lecture or you're standing at a table side trying to entertain, it's really rather nice to have the attention because with magic, it's not something that really, if you're going to appreciate it fully, that you can have in the background. You have to be watching it, surely, in order to get the, be the best out of it. And so it seem, has always seemed to me pretty rude to not even bother to look up from your phone. And I, I must admit, when I go to a table of people on their phone, I will interrupt them. I'd say, hi, I'm the magician. Sorry to interrupt you for a minute. Have you got a moment? You know, and try and get them off the phone if I can, because uh, otherwise I feel like I'm, I'm performing to half a table. So maybe I'm just old fashioned on this one. But um, uh, what do you guys think? Do you, do you find the same thing when you're out working, that increasingly people are more interested in their phone than they are in you? Um, it'd be interesting to know whether whether it's something that uh, other people have, have had the problem with and, and indeed whether you attempt to deal with it or not. In years gone by, all, um, or pretty much all, uh, show inquiries, of course, came over the telephone. And uh, you could be interrupted at any moment. You could have just got out of the bath or be in the middle of a meal. The phone rings and immediately you had to switch into selling mode and put on a professional voice and get your head together um, and talk coherently and relevantly and accurately about fees and things like that to a potential booker. But of course, um, with so, so many people, in fact, most people now going online in order to, in order to access magicians and get information, um, virtually all my inquiries now come through my through the uh, the form that's on my website, so it comes as an email. 
And I have to say, I really like this because it gives me a chance to to look at the email, to consider the details of the booking and to think coherently about what I want to charge, whether I want to do it in the first place, if I've got other shows uh, around this on the same day or around this, a similar time, can I get from one to the other? Uh, and to really put together in my own head a case for do I want it or don't I want it? And I, and I really like to do that before I then reply. Because then when I feel I'm, that I'm actually going to make the uh, the offer, if you like, to the booker, it will be one that I'm happy to make. Whereas when somebody rings up, as I say, they can catch you at an inopportune moment. They could ring your mobile and you're out in, out in the town walking down the street. There could be all sorts of reasons why it's not a good moment. And because the inquirer is ringing you, you, you don't want to say, listen, I'm, I'm out at the moment. Can I ring you back later in case they, in the meantime, have got an inquiry sort of put out inquiries with other people, which they almost certainly have, and have got other quotes quicker than you can do it. So um, so the phone uh, is no longer the priority when it comes to show inquiries. So when you do get one, and it still happens from time to time, <laughs> it's funny how I feel like I've got out of practice with, with doing a show quote over the phone. I had one the other day. Somebody rang me on my mobile. Unfortunately, in my house, I have very thick walls in my house. And so the, the mobile reception is not that great. It, it tends to break up a little bit. And I have to be careful where I stand, uh, even in my office, because uh, I, I can't always hear very clearly what people are saying. Um, and so uh, and so, somebody rang. And, um, and I, I did it anyway. I went through all the process of talking to this person about this wedding and so on and gave them all the information. And when I got off the phone, I realised there, there were a couple of things that I'd forgotten to mention, which I would really actually quite like to have told them. And I thought, now, you see, if they had made that inquiry by email, that would not have happened because I, I would have made sure that all the information was uh, up together before I'd sent it to them. Whereas on the phone, I missed stuff out. But of course, the disadvantage of only doing email is that there's no conversation going on. When somebody rings, they might ring up with one idea in mind. Could you do this? And you find out about the booking and you think, well, actually, you think to yourself, that's that's really not what they want. It would be better if I did this instead. And then you can start to have a conversation and you can turn them and their thinking round to what you actually think would be better and indeed what you can deliver um, which may be more or better than what they had in mind originally so you you lose out on that sort of negotiation side of it um, and also uh, when you're talking about fees and things like that you can kind of tell on the phone sometimes whether you're in the right ballpark for them or whether they're really not they just want to get off the phone fast because you're way more expensive than they thought Again, you don't get that with the email. You just never hear another thing. So you don't always know why, perhaps, um, you haven't got uh, the booking. But I, I, as I say, on balance, I do prefer the email. Um, I like to be more in control of, of when, the, when the, um, the quote goes out. And so, uh, but, but, of course, you still get it on the phone sometimes. And so I still have to remember that there are going to be times when I need to think of my feet. I'm just a bit out of practice, that's all. eClub Pro, which is my online uh, magic club and information resource, uh, is now in its sixth year. And over the five and a bit years that it's been running, 
um, a lot of these sections have got um, a huge amount of information put into them. Some of the uh, the members-only sections, and there are 10 altogether, um, have uh, new material added to them every month. Other of the sections simply change every month, but at, um, at least half of them are added to, which means that things such as the vintage vault, the toolbox, um, and uh, the instruction locker and places like that, they have a lot of material in there for people to access. And it struck me that um, there are some people who are a little bit averse to taking out um, subscriptions to things, um, even though with eClub Pro there's no fixed subscription period. You can, you can stay as long as you like. Um, but uh, some people are a bit averse to that because they don't know what it is that they're they're signing up to, basically. And so um, I've introduced something called the eClub Pro 30-Day Pass, which is um, a, a one-off payment, which costs 99p a day. And for a one-off payment, you get 30 days worth of access to all the members-only pages that are on my eClub Pro website. Um, this will give you full and unfettered access to all the material that's there. So it's a fantastic opportunity and gives you long enough to go in and have a proper investigation and, and watch all the videos and start to, to get to grips with what eClub Pro has to offer. And then if you decide um, that you would actually like to sign up, provided you sign up to eClub Pro before um, the end of your 30-day pass period, then you get a, a credit note for £20 back so that the month that you've had of access to eClub Pro has only cost you um, if effectively £10, which is what the monthly cost is anyway. So um, if you've wondered about eClub Pro and thought, one of it's for me, then the 30-day pass might be a really good way to um, to access all the information and, and, and to see just how much fantastic material there is on there. So please do consider that and go and have a look on the eClub Pro pages on my website and see what you think. Now, I must admit, I come from the school of thought that says that if you're doing a lecture or if you're doing a show, that the way you dress, what you actually wear, should be the smartest that is appropriate for the situation that you're lecturing or performing in. Um, I, I have a particular, obviously being the age that I do, I have a particular way of dressing, usually a suit or something like that, uh, and it, it feels right for my age and so on. And while I appreciate that younger people... Um, may not want to wear a suit and a tie because ties are way out of fashion. Um, I am a bit surprised at ha just how casual um, some performers think it's OK uh, to dress. And also lecturers. Um, it, it's amazing occasionally when you see how some... They look like they've, you know, got out of bed and pulled on something they were wearing yesterday, and which isn't ironed, uh, and just basically staggered into the lecture room to present the lecture. Surely it's a little bit disrespectful, isn't it, to the people who've turned up and who are paying a fee, perhaps, to, to see you if you turn up uh, looking like a bit of a dog's dinner in terms of what you're wearing. Um, but uh, it does seem that, uh, you know, casual is acceptable, at least certainly to the people who are wearing the casual stuff. But to my way of thinking, um, it's there's casual and there's casual. There's casual and there's scruffy. You know, there are, there are a lot of very nice casual items of clothing that you can buy uh, and that look fine because they're neat and it looks like you've made an effort even if it's if it's jeans and a t-shirt the type of t-shirt the type of jeans um, it's commensurate with your age for a start if it looks right because that's what you, your generation wears 
but that it's not crumpled and or something that just looks like you haven't made any effort at all. Um, I was talking to somebody um, who uh, has been in magic a very long time, and this person was was talking about this exact thing and saying how surprised they were at the at the incredibly scruffy attire of a lecturer um, and were quite shocked by it really and it, and it is it is a bit surprising I think especially when you're playing a professional fee if you get somebody who turns up who doesn't look professional and the same when you're going for, to do a show in a way and we did an, uh, an article on this a couple of issues back in magic scene about just this thing you know what is acceptable to wear and the way I always looked at it is that um, you shouldn't really, in a sense, be dressing for what you like, but for what is appropriate, surely, for the event you're going to. If you're going to a wedding or you're going to a cor- big corporate, important corporate event, to turn up in, 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 in T-shirt and jeans and trainers, to my way of thinking anyway, is, is inappropriate. And I think could, even if you like what you're wearing... If the people who have booked you don't like it, then surely that's a mistake, isn't it? I mean, I think that it is. Um, Maybe I'm just old-fashioned on this one, but uh, I think you need to please the booker because they're the ones paying the money. And if they have expectations of how you should look and what they're expecting to book and what their clients or guests are expecting, then I think you really need to live up to that if you possibly can. Well, there we are, as another half an hour has raced by. I really appreciate you, you, you tuning in. If you haven't listened to any of the sort of the back editions of this podcast, um, they're all on my website. So you can go back and listen to them. Uh, hopefully they'll make interesting listening uh, for you. I know some people kind of binge on them and listen to a whole load in one go just for the fun of it when they've got a bit of time. But uh, even if you don't do that, do go and have a look at some of them because um, you should find them hopefully of interest. And I will look forward to being back here next month for another edition of this one. All the best. Have a good month.